so happy to have Sean Lacey, a former colleague and a forever friend, on the show. He's here to discuss his learnings and his experiences with nine years of running the equality group at his school. So he's going to share with you um, ideas that you might want to put in practice on your campus, as well as ways to deal with pushback or criticism if you are running a GSA-like group. Enjoy. I work at United World College of Southeast Asia, East Campus in Singapore. Uh, I work in the high school as the head of EAL, English as an Additional Language. And I've been at the school now for nine years and I've been in Singapore for 21. Uh, I run a group for uh, students called Equality, which is a support group for LGBTQ students and teachers. I also run a, another support group, which is a little bit of a spin-off of that called PAWS, which means parents at UWC support each other. And that's for parents of LGBTQ uh, children, uh, which has a completely different focus and a completely different energy. Uh, but the one I'm going to speak about today is equality, the support group for uh, high school students. Uh, that includes not just members of the LGBTQ community in the high school body, uh, but allies as well. We're open to everyone. So members who, who bring friends or other people who just want to come in and be part of that discussion or to deepen their understanding are also welcome. Uh, we started this group with about eight students, I think, and it started about uh, nine years ago. And I joined it about seven years ago. And we went then from eight students to about 15 to a peak of 46 students. We became the largest um, sort of focus group out of the two campuses for a couple of years. Uh, then a number of those students uh, graduated and took their friends with them. And we, we went down to a much smaller group the past couple of years to about 10. And now we're back up to over 20 again, which is a very, very uh, comfortable number because uh, 46 is a little bit difficult to have uh, discussions unless you're in smaller groups. So it becomes a little bit categorized or isolated. But now with 20 or so and some people who just come to visit uh, every few weeks, uh, we, have, we have some very, very wonderful uh, discussions. And we've just begun, we've just had our second meeting. And uh, the students are plotting out what they're planning to do for the year. They're prioritizing things. They, they had open discussions and sort of took a vote on the things that were the most important to them, things that they wanted to put at the forefront, and how they wanted to change things and the types of discussions they wanted to have this year. So I see this year as, in a sense, a kind of a banner year because the students really now are into the, into the mode of running things themselves and becoming self-managers. And that allows me to step back a little bit in terms of um, planning and in terms of direction, because they are very, very self-directed. They know what they want. They know where they want to go. And so I'm there as a role model and as the school dictates a necessary supervisor. And uh, I sort of give my two cents on, on issues and uh, my experience comes into play quite a bit. And for somebody who's listening who has no idea what kind of conversations or discussions might go on in a group like yours, can you just kind of walk us through what maybe one or two of the, the conversations that students are, are either hoping to have in coming weeks or conversations that you can recall from last year that 
like these were really engaging and conversated and, and they were kind of critical conversations for the group. I, I think it's a little bit multi-layered because sometimes something comes up in social media, for example, or on Facebook or Instagram, and they spur discussions. And that's a wonderful thing because it's current. It's something happening now and it's something that's very, very relevant to them. If I talk about my experience in the 1970s when I was in, in school, for example, um, that, that might shed some light on something, but it might not be as relevant as things that are, that are coming up currently. So, so things that come up in the news are very important to us and we can talk about them because they're now. Another discussion that we have is what they want from the equality group. So there are, there are, there are basically two sides to what equality represents. One is a safe space for LGBTQ people. Uh, and I have a classroom set up here. Uh, there are sofas and people can sit and have discussions. They come on, on Thursday lunchtime, they bring their lunch with them. And we have an agenda, of course, but we also have uh, open discussions on things. So this is a place where students can come and not feel judged. Uh, and the equality group uh, is very important for that. I've decorated the room you know, with rainbow flags and uh, there are books here with LGBTQ themes, that kind of stuff. And it's very, very important that LG, LGBTQ students have a place where they know they're always safe and they can say what's on their mind and they can raise issues without fear of judgment or uh, ridicule. The other side to that is that they also want the LGBTQ community to be more uh, visual, to, to have a higher visibility uh, in the entire school uh, community. They want to be able to speak with allies to address issues in the broader community with teachers and, and students across the board. So that, that sort of detracts a little bit away from the exclusive uh, safe space for LGBTQ kids. So they had to sort of make a decision, you know, what is it that we want? Do we want this to be a very open kind of thing where everyone is welcome and we can discuss things with everyone openly? Or do we want this to be our space? Do we want this to be the LGBTQ space, the one place in school where we can go where it's just us? So that was a very important discussion. And they decided that they wanted it to be open. They wanted to engage with everyone. They wanted to uh, give their perspective and tell their stories and uh, if they wanted to be accepted and embraced by the rest of the community then they had to embrace the rest of the community as well. Now having said that there are a group of students who still don't feel comfortable um, sharing their experiences with everyone. Uh, they may be at different stages of coming out or they may be still very very closeted and I'm having a meeting as a matter of fact this week with the head of counseling because some of these students have gone to the to the counseling center and said who can we talk to where can we go we don't want to to join equality because it's too open it's too it's it's too clear to everyone uh what you're doing there's they still have a lot of fear about who they are so i'm now in talks about opening a second group which is a little bit of a more closed and private group that everybody isn't invited to just those students and the counselors so we can sit and speak to them privately and that's a real safe space that's a place where they can go and they can talk about their issues they can ask questions uh and it's very very personal so i think the most important discussion that we've had so far 
is about the direction of the equality group. And we've decided to become open and welcoming to everyone. And that's really, really important for the broader community. For the students who need a safe space and a more um, anonymous space, uh, I've started a second sort of support arm of that. What are some of the things that you do differently now to when you first started the group? Well, I think, you know, um, I've learned so much from my students. Uh, I'm 35 years older than they are, I'm ashamed to say. And I'm a bit of an introvert. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who socializes very much or, you know, goes to parties and those kinds of things. So I don't meet so many new people and have the discussions that maybe I should. Uh, so my students have a lot more current knowledge than I do. Um, a couple of years ago, when we started having the discussions about the varying uh, gender and sexuality identities, I found myself trying to understand what all those identities were because the students expected me to explain to them, uh, you know, what, what the, the 32 or 42 or 52 identified genders were on Facebook or, or you know, what Wikipedia said about uh, all those things. But in fact, uh, it was nearly as much of a learning curve for me as it probably was for a lot of straight people. Those discussions simply weren't had when I was growing up. Even the, even the idea of being gay was a discussion uh, that wasn't had when I was growing up. Uh, it was a different time and certainly a different place. So that was, that was an issue for me. So last year we set up a panel discussion. I, I, Trish, I think you were there for that. Mm. And... Um, the students in the equality group talked about their experiences openly and students and teachers who attended asked them questions. And one of our students talked about being asexual and I realized that I hadn't explored what that would mean to a person. And I sat and spoke to them after the discussion and I kind of received an education from them because I hadn't really sat down and thought about what that meant. So that same student also talked about other sexualities like demisexuality, which is one that I hadn't heard of. And I realized that although that doesn't imply, apply to me entirely as a gay person, it does, there is a thread of demisexuality in my experience. And I had never, I had never had a name for that. I didn't realize until that moment that that actually applied to me in some way. And suddenly I understood myself better through speaking to one of my students. So it wasn't nearly as much about me educating them as it was about them educating me. So I realized also after that panel discussion that my students felt more empowered, that they felt they had a voice and they had something to say to the broader community and that what they had to say was heard and respected. So I learned lessons from my own students and from those who came to hear and learn. And I knew, I realized then that there was so much to be said and so much that needed to be heard by the equality group. And also so many questions that people had that needed to be addressed. So I feel like the people in, in that room understood that humanity was much more complex and diverse than they thought it was before they had sat down to listen to that discussion. And I realized that I had so much to learn. So I think the, the biggest lesson that I had was um, that I had to listen to them. The biggest lesson was that I had lessons to learn, that my role as a supervisor wasn't necessarily my role as an instructor to people about queer theory or about uh, gay culture or about what it meant 
to be asexual or demisexual or anything else. Um, so they're, they're, they're more the teacher than I am, as a matter of fact. So that's, I mean, I feel like that's really an important point to make because just, you know, the, the same way that we would never anticipate that someone who's heterosexual knows everything about heterosexuality. I feel like sometimes it's, you know, people assume if you are, if you're gay or bi or lesbian, like you get everything about the whole spectrum and, and you know it all and, and you don't because, you know, as you just kind of laid out, it's really complex and it's still evolving which bridges really nicely into the, the second question. I don't know if you were able to listen to Ellie and Vanessa who are, are running like groups. Uh, yep, but I did listen to them yesterday, yeah. Okay, oh great. So they, you know, and they both happen to be straight and they expressed how they felt really kind of anxious about leading the group and, and being straight. And I'm wondering, what would you say to educators who are worried that they are somehow less legitimate in leading an equality group um, if they are not necessarily on the LGBTQ plus spectrum? I don't feel they're any less legitimate. It's just that their role is different. Uh, I feel that both straight and LGBTQ people have equally important roles in supporting students in that kind of group. For me personally, uh, growing up, the straight man was always the scariest animal in the jungle. They were the ones who masculinity and validation were measured by. They were the ones that I felt most threatened by, the ones that I feared the most and against whom I judged myself and always miserably failed. So the other supervisor in my equality group is a straight man and he is by far one of the kindest, gentlest people I've ever had the privilege to meet. And his presence in the equality group is supremely important. The fact that a member of that terribly scary group is there listening, supporting, fighting for justice for us is incredible and helps, it helps us to solidify our faith in non-queer people uh, because non-queer people can be very scary. It reduces the us and them mentality, I think, and the presence and support of straight allies is absolutely an integral part of us working in school, working in society, and working in the world. Having said that, LGBTQ people also need someone to relate to. So I feel that's my job. Those students need to see someone who is uh, in a supervisory or an administration type of role, I think, in school. Someone who is a working, living, breathing gay person who is not ashamed of who he is, who works proudly for equality and works for human rights. They need to see that I am accepted and embraced by my peers, not just as a gay person, but as a person. I have very good relationships, I feel, with my students and my colleagues, and they see that, um, uh, that I'm not a person who's living or working on the fringe of society. They need to see themselves in me. And that's why queer cinema and literature are so important. So I've begun a class library of LGBTQ-themed books, which I mentioned just now, uh, and films as well. And I've, part of my equality group this year is an after-school film viewing uh, kind of activity, which is half social and half learning and discussion. Because equality students need to see real issues that affect us in ways that are unique to us. And that is the perspective I feel that is necessary in a gay teacher at school. That doesn't trivialize in any way the importance of straight people leading LGBTQ equality groups. It simply balances it.
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it, it is so important to see that it's not just an issue for the, the queer community, but I also feel like, you know, I, when I think back to my own teen years, I had so much internalized homophobia. And I think part of that was because, you know, I went through school not once having a teacher who identified or, you know, was was out. And I, and I kind of think it's important that there is representation, but um, that it's not the LGBTQ plus community that are the only ones interested in, in having these conversations. So in the earlier episode, the kind of newbies to running equality groups talked about their biggest concern being, you know, what do I do once I get criticism? You know, that they're kind of are already anticipating some criticism uh, or pushback from the parent community or, or, you know, even possibly from within their own school. So what advice would you have uh, to someone who is running a group like this and then all of a sudden here come the floodgates uh, and parents or school leaders have an issue with what they're doing? I think that, I think that pushback is inevitable. And the best thing that you can do is be prepared for it. So there's, there's parent pushback and there's homophobia, you know, but there's also support. So it's important for us, I think, to focus on the support, but not to ignore the pushback because it can be very ugly and it can come from unexpected places. And, you know, it's, it's we, we, we have to be prepared for this and we have to be ready to answer that pushback with education and with dignity. Uh, it can be frustrating when nothing gets done about bullying or abuse or other kinds of pushback, even homophobic dialogue, but it's important to remember that it is everywhere and it can appear at any time and in very unexpected ways or unexpected places. It's also important not to appear afraid or to back down to such talk, I think. And fear is a very strong motivator, which is why homophobic people or homophobic groups use it. So it doesn't shock me anymore, you know, because I, because I know that it's out there, but we have to be examples for the students, I think. Uh, so we, we should not give in to such criticism uh, when its intention is negative. We have to, we have to accept positive criticism or, or well-intentioned criticism, of course, uh, but not when it's, uh, it comes from a place of homophobia. So I don't think we can show the students that it's okay uh, to treat us as subhuman or as any lesser than anyone else. So as the only openly gay teacher in my high school, I feel morally bound to show my students that I have as much right to exist as anyone else in any form that is appropriate to me, because that means that they have that same right. So it's more about, I think, how we see ourselves than it is how other people see us. Although acceptance from the wider community would certainly be gravy. It's, it's, it's really about um, the internal self and how, how we see ourselves. And it's important, very, very important, not to allow that pushback to uh, invalidate who we are. And I guess a big part of that is my own personal journey. Um, I only came out to my family at the age of 40. Um, and that was because at the time I had a partner, I was living in Singapore, and my brother and his wife decided they were gonna come and visit. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> you know. So, you know, it was the first time I've been overseas for 25 years and uh, it was the first time any of my family had ever come to visit. So one of the reasons I, I left home was that um, I wasn't I wasn't in their in their viewfinder anymore. And suddenly I was faced with the reality that now 
you know, I'm, I'm here and living my life as I please. And I don't tell my family anything about it, but someone's going to come and it's going to figure things out. So I decided that then that I had to tell my brother and he was amazing. And uh, then I thought, okay, I'm going to tell both my sisters too. And they were amazing. Um, and then I, I realized that uh, being gay wasn't my problem. It was their problem. And um, by telling someone, I wasn't just telling them who I was. I was also telling them that I cared about them. And I was also telling them that uh, if anybody had a problem with my sexuality or my gender or anything else, it was their problem and it wasn't my problem anymore. And that I was able to release a lot of that pent up internalized homophobia, that internal self-hatred, all of those things that were, that were negative to me. And that, that took a long time. So I became more and more comfortable with myself and who I was. And I felt like I had every right to pursue a happy life the same as everyone else. So I, I gained a lot of that strength from those experiences. And luckily, I had that before I came into the equality group here at UWC. Um, I think if I were, if I were still afraid of people knowing who I was, or if I didn't have the strength in my own uh, identity, uh, that I wouldn't be nearly as effective. So I'm able to transmit that energy to the students. And I mentioned to you earlier that I have, you know, rainbow flags and I have, uh, you know, pride, peace and love uh, banners in my classroom. And everybody in the school knows that Sean is the uh, gay teacher who runs the equality group. And, um, my students see me uh, being proud of that. They know that there's no shame in what I do or in who I am. And uh, that's really, really an important part of this entire discussion. Because there's going to be pushback, there's going to be homophobia, uh, there are going to be all those things. And one of the worst forms of homophobia is internalized homophobia. Such a powerful message, Sean. If there were any resources that you think other advocates should check out, what would you recommend? There's a book that I received from you last year called uh, Queer, A Graphic History by Meg John Barker and Julia Shela. Are you, are you, do you remember that book? I do, yes. Love that book. And it's fantastic. And um, I recommend that to parents and to students and to teachers because it really breaks things down. And it forced me to look at uh, LGBTQ issues in a completely different way. Uh, because, you know, you, when, when you're a gay man, you, you think your community is other gay men. And then you might expand that and say, okay, well, you know, lesbians are part of our community too. And this book really forced me to think about who my community really was, not just people who are, are you know, uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans people. But it, it really forced me to look at what normative means, not just heteronormative, but it, it made me look at um, straight, white, Christian males. Uh, and anybody who was outside of that group, even women, even straight, white women, with straight, white, Christian women, don't fit into that group because they're not male. So the, the, the power house, the, the source of power in the world uh, that drives 
what we view as normal is this very, very exclusive group. So that means that my community includes women and feminists. It includes non-white people. It includes non-Christian people. And it includes all facets of the LGBTQ community. And I, I, I realize that people who are discriminated against uh, because of race, because of gender, because of sexuality, all of those things uh, bind us together. So I realized that my community was far bigger than I had envisioned it. Um, and growing up, I hated the word queer because it was always a very derogatory term. And when I first saw the title of this book, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not because I don't really like the people using this word. Um, and then I, I came to realize that queer simply represents everyone. Everyone who's not cisgendered and straight can fall under the umbrella of queer. And uh, I started to embrace that term. And now I, I use it uh, to describe myself and my community. So uh, that book really helped me to clear the fog on that. So I absolutely would recommend that. In the equality group, exactly. We haven't concentrated very much on things like articles or very, very specific uh, resources. But this year in our first meeting, when we determined what our direction was going to be, the students said, we'd like to read a few articles. We'd like to look at some YouTube videos and some other things and have um, guided discussions about them. So up to now, it's been very much about having a safe space and speaking freely and um, being visible in the community. But this year, the added layer really is about uh, guided discussions based on articles, based on uh, books like this one, uh, based on uh, videos or, or other things in social media. Uh, and one that I'm showing to my group is from YouTube and it's called uh, Panty's Noble Call uh, and who was heavily criticized in the media for using the word homophobe. And uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating 10 minute uh, discussion at the, at the, at the uh, Dublin uh, theater about um, internalized homophobia and about uh, homophobia uh, across the community and how the word homophobia has been taken away uh, from gay people. That particular video uh, is a catalyst to so many different issues and so many different discussions. So this year is a year where I'm bringing in more outside resources, but uh, if anybody really wants to sit and think about uh, the queer community and what it means, uh, queer or graphic history is number one on my recommendation list, I would say. We will be sure to link to that resource in our show notes. Sean Lacey, thank you so much for your time and your efforts. Um, we, we really do applaud them. And I am, again, so thankful that I had the opportunity of working with you. And I wish you and your equality group the best of luck this year. To learn more about Sean's PAUSE group, uh, the group that he has started with parents, you can also head on over to our show notes and learn firsthand about that experience.